Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. And this week we have an incredible interview lined up with Dr. Tom Hooper. Or Tom. Just Tom. Just just Tom. Mr. Tom. Yeah. Yeah. We discussed uh, later in the interview, um, I introduced him rather formally, and uh, we're on a first name basis now. Oh, apparently. So I'm very excited about that. Yes. Um, Yes. We do end up talking about, in the bulk of this show, we will be discussing uh, Toronto Pride. Mm -hmm. He has continued to uncover fraudulent documentation inside grant applications by Toronto Pride uh, in, I think, the 2018-2019 time period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we realized that was before the pandemic, but Toronto Pride claims that that was a long-forgotten legacy, um, thinking caveman time far ago. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, for us, we're quite concerned that uh, they have been engaging... And well, that this has happened at all. Really. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it is a concern. Clearly, they're using the word legacy to mean somebody other than us did it. But if yeah, it, not our fault, not our problem. If it's the if it's the people immediately before you, then mm-hmm. that's not really legacy. No, no. Yeah, if it was last Tuesday, that's not a legacy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I mean, I understand where they're coming from, but that's not the right term. That's not the right term yeah. at all. So that is going to be the bulk of our show a little later today. But before we get there, something which is a legacy. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you remember this. This wasn't 2019. This was 2015. Okay. All right. Yes. Way back shortly after the uh, Supreme Court had legalized same-sex marriage uh, nationwide in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, a county clerk called Kim Davies Mm -hmm. refused to do her job and uh, um, issue a marriage license for a same-sex couple. Yes, I I remember this this is a woman who looks like she's never used conditioner. Yeah, and anyway, it's taken, what is it now, seven years for this uh, court case uh, against her to to crawl through the U.S. legal system. Mm -hmm. And a, a U.S. district judge has now issued a verdict on this, saying essentially that Kim Davies, and I quote, cannot use her own constitutional rights as a shield to violate the constitutional rights of others Mm -hmm. while performing her duties as an elected official. And as much as it took seven years, I'm kind of glad it turned out like this in the end, because normally for cases like this, they would just settle out of court. But by... Because the American system is kind of based on the British common law system more or less so by going all the way through and spending seven years on this they've helped establish precedent so this is going to affect future cases and instead of taking seven years it might take seven months for similar cases in the future now that this has been established so as much as was you know probably a, a a migraine of a court case and you've had migraines in the past week so you yeah <laughs> so you know what i'm talking about but it's uh it's it, worthwhile in the long run for um and i always always have a lot of respect for people who even though they could walk away absolute millionaires they they choose to not settle out of court because they do want that precedent set i think this is very good when this kind of thing happens as much as it is very difficult for the person going through the the situation on the other end of it so yeah it's well, I mean, it was quite the yeah. roller coaster. So she was, it was illegal. Uh, she should have issued these marriage licenses. Yep. 
Um, she'd already made the decision that to hell with the Supreme Court decision on the law of the land. Mm -hmm. The law of her land, i.e. the Rowan County Clerk's Office, uh, was going to be different. Uh, she was arrested for failing to perform her duties and mm -hmm. jailed for five days. She only got out of jail because the county officials that were there after she left just did the paperwork. <laughs> so her office is like, no, it's cool, we got this. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, let me do the admin for you. Um, she then lost her re-election bid in 2018, where a Democrat yep. uh, took her I see county I call something position. about that, because there's a lot of counties in the states where every major political position is voted in. And this is considered to be, like, the downfall of democracy in the states, because, like, the dog catcher gets voted in. So it, it's, a, it's a real thing, and, and I just... Baffling, the county clerk. I mean, I'm, I'm all for... The people you know, choose. civic engagement, yeah. But that's ridiculous. Yeah, there is. Yeah. There are so many elections in the States. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I have seen that's quite interesting is Cher has tweeted recently, uh, a couple of days ago, at time of recording. There's a name I haven't heard uh, for Cher. Yeah, the, yeah. Cher, the Cher. One word. Sherilyn Sarkeesian. That's the one. Yeah. 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 If, you're, if, you're, if you're formal. <laughs> if you're uh, Cher's doctor, then, yeah. then that's what it is. Uh, she tweeted, I would like to sponsor Ukrainian families in my home. They would be safe and cared for. Many people in my position need to step up to the plate. Mm -hmm. If I was alone or with my children and we were traumatized, I would hope someone like me would take care of us. Mm. Um, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. You know, and, and I think Cher has a long storied personal history. And it's it's boots on the ground as well. It's it's real help. It's not just tweeting out loves and prayers. This it's is like I have five homes here. You can use this one. This is making a life changing impact on a small number of people. I mean, this is something that we talk about every time we get the people from Rainbow Refuge on is that you can tweet out your loves and prayers to Uganda and Kenya all you want. Mm -hmm. the, the moment you take in one refugee, you've done way more. Yeah, that's 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 really saving a life yeah. is, uh, is doing that. Now, Canadians have a pretty unique opportunity in, you know, the Western world and really anywhere in, in the world mm -hmm. where we have the Sponsorship Refugee Program. Yes. Where I think a group of six Canadians, I think, is, is the group needed, mm -hmm. uh, can come together, raise funds equivalent to what would be needed to support this refugee for, I believe it's one to two years, mm -hmm. um, and actually create a spot. Mm -hmm. You know, you can make the space yep. to bring in a refugee from the Ukraine. And uh, yeah, the, the Canadian government is expediting the visa process. Mm -hmm. So... If you want to go above and beyond thoughts and prayers, above and beyond yes. donating to the Canadian Red Cross Ukrainian crisis yeah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, fundraiser, which is, by the way, raised tens of millions mm -hmm. uh, from Canadians, so great job there. If you think that you have the space, the spare pots and pans, yep. you know, the, 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 the time to be able to give to help somebody in this crisis situation that... Uh, refugee sponsorship program is possible there are these refugee sponsorship programs in nearly every single town and city across yeah. the country yeah. so no matter where you are um just google your town yeah. refugee sponsorship program and uh, you should find the details you were looking for and unfortunately we still need to help people from uganda afghanistan and chechnya so mm -hmm. th there's a need out there in general 
and Myanmar and, and you know, the, from the Sudan. And yeah. there's loads of places where refugees are, are fleeing right now. But, you know, last I heard there was, what, 10 million Ukrainians uh, fleeing. Mm-hmm. You know, when we think about the Syrian war, I believe that generated about 2 million refugees. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is a, at a, an incredible scale. The, the one thing, though, I would say is... Uh, refugee hubs where neighboring countries are willing to take them in. So, like, there's a lot of LGBT refugees going to Romania and Turkey. And Poland. And Poland. Uh, Turkey has an okay reputation. Romania has a slightly better than okay reputation if you're LGBT. Of the list, Poland has the best reputation. Of that list? Seriously? Oh, my God. Wait a minute. Oh, that's not great. But anyway, um, there are places in the world where you need to go seven countries over. There are no neighboring countries that are acceptable for LGBT refugees. So I think this is very important for us to sort of remind ourselves that this is a worthwhile cause. Absolutely. Yeah. Check out uh, um, Rainbow, Rainbow Railroad uh, as well. Mm-hmm. I think they have some details there. All right, we are going to jump to our first track of the day. We're going with a bit of a country vibe inspired by Oval Peck's The Curse of the Black and Lie. Mm-hmm. Um, Oval Peck, I believe from Calgary, I think you said? Uh, I think so, yeah. Definitely cowboy country. And uh, if he were, if he had a title, it would not be doctor or professor. It would be Dreamboat. Yes, he is a dreamboat. And yes. that voice, I mean, that's ASMR. Uh, like, yeah, he has a beautiful it voice. It is a moistly voice. Absolutely. All right, this is Curse of the Black and I by Oval Peck. And later we will hear Les Matelins by Lausch. And we will be playing out with Hands on My Body by Maria Stokes. But right now, this is Oval Peck, The Curse of the Black and I. I've been hiding now, running from the curse of the black and die. Uh-huh. Darling, I can feel it coming every time. I sat around last year, wished so many times that I would die. And now I can see the night It's true, true it follows me around Nothing to lose, wouldn't miss it any that you take with Uh-huh I can feel it getting closer with every kiss You got a beetle joint I'm trying to act surprised Just flip a coin cause I'm Should work on my skin. 
to Kangway, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Ed Smith. I'm Sebastian. And we are joined again by the incredible Dr. Tom Hooper. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's great to be back with you both. Do you prefer doctor or professor? Uh, uh, Tom is fine. But, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't Dr. Be, Hooper is formal. Yeah, I didn't what, want what? to be so presumptuous to be on a first name basis. I, you know, I thought that was rather forward. So, you know. what, what makes you feel more powerful? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Tom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We are back here talking about Toronto Pride because I feel like the Toronto Pride scandal is like an onion, but a very rotten onion. And as we peel layers of rot away, there are more layers of rot underneath mm. this onion. Um, now, for those who are unaware of what's going on for the last couple of years, with the exception of the last year or two, Mm -hmm. so sort of before the pandemic, uh, the executive director of the Toronto Pride, so we're talking about under the leadership of uh, Olivia... Noema. Noema. Um, (laughs) Under the leadership of Olivia, there were a number of issues. Pride skirted with the potential of bankruptcy, uh, the fact that the police were evicted from the Pride, there's a lot of political pressure, and massive, massive grants being funneled into Pride Toronto. Pride Toronto is the largest Pride organization in the country and uh, receives about a million tourists in the pre-pandemic period and uh, the biggest in Canada by quite a margin. And we have been talking about just the ongoing scandals. Now, Tom... When we had you on last, we sort of dug into, you weren't initially looking into scandal and intrigue. You were looking into something far more benign almost. What Mm -hmm. what was it before your scalpel hit the tumor, which is this, uh, this, this scandal? Well, it's a good question because we should remember, I'm a historian. My job is to study the past. And that's what I actually want to be doing. And yet I was kind of dragged 
into being, I don't know, an investigative journalist or a lead prosecutor, I've been called, uh, going after Pride Toronto here. But what I was looking at was a, a very kind of cute historical project looking at the 1969 decriminalization. My PhD thesis was on the 1981 Toronto bathhouse raids. And so my central question was, well, how is it that, you know, in 1981, you know, 12 years after the, the so-called decriminalization, that you have this massive police raid on four gay bathhouses with hundreds of men being criminalized. So that was sort of the first question I started asking. And in 2019, because it was the 50th anniversary of the 1969 reform, the federal government was spending all of this money giving money out to various community groups. They gave out more than $2 million to celebrate 1969. And I was surprised when I found that one of the groups that received funds was Pride Toronto. And that's how I kind of got started into looking at these documents. It sounds to me that you, you looked under the rug. We've seen the bug scurrying away from it ever since. What's your take, Sebastian? Well, we actually looked into, uh, on a, a similar but different front, there was a few times where Toronto Pride got funding for things where you and I basically said, I don't think Toronto has the capacity to do that. Like, why is Toronto like? There's a few things where the the, the archives, spelled with a Q, in Toronto would have been a better fit for some of the grants that Toronto was getting to uh, look into the history of things. There was um, they they got funding to do a nationwide survey, and from what we could find, they couldn't even survey their own membership without getting the statistics wrong. So I don't trust them to to study all of of Canada, and uh, the two of us could even name a couple other organizations who are better suited, maybe not even onto themselves necessarily ideal, but certainly better suited than, than Toronto Pride. And we looked into it as a result of that. Of why, why is Toronto Pride getting all this funding for these things that are just a weird fit? Like it's like, mm-hmm. I'm sure Toronto Pride is a fine organization, just not for doing this long yeah. list of things. The, the question was, at the time, they were looking at a grant around the relationship between the LGBT community and policing. Mm-hmm. So one local festival yes. was now responsible for understanding that question from Timmins to Thunder Bay yes. to Revelstoke through to Bonnie Bay. Like it's... It made no sense. And me and you were looking at each other going, does this have anything to do with the fact they're skirting, like flirting with bankruptcy? Surely not. Maybe. And really, if they really wanted this done thoroughly, wouldn't they just include it in the general social survey? Or even with Fierte Canada Pride, which is a decentralized pride umbrella organization. I mean, there's chapters. a dozen ways. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so we've been, we've been wondering about this for a little while. Uh, one of the things that you found when you started to, to look under the rug there, uh, Tom, was just the, the sheer amount of money that was coming in from these grants. Mm-hmm. And I think you landed on one in particular, and it was the uh, commemorating the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. There are other grants that have raised more issues, but why did you get suspicious with that grant? So the the I I came across as I said the first grant that I found was this uh, thing to celebrate decriminalization, and I asked for the application, a copy of the grant application, and in the grant application it revealed this connection to these other grants, and so that's when I started making these uh, other requests, and in total these three grants they accumulated to one point eight five 
million in federal funding. And all of the various projects that they had proposed in these three uh, projects, they all intertwined. It was this web of different projects and different deliverables in which all three projects were speaking to. And uh, the evidence that I found shows that Heritage Canada didn't even know that it had two separate programs funding essentially uh, the same project. Yep, and then Public Safety Canada was the the body behind the third one. Okay. So, just for our listeners' sake, the commemorating 50th anniversary of Stonewall that was a six hundred thousand dollar grant from Canadian Heritage from 2019 to 2022. Um, Public Safety provided a grant of one million dollars to run from April 2018 to 2023. And then finally, the decriminalization one ran from 2018 to 2019, and that was a quarter million, so 250,000. You know, the fact that there were artists in the Pride Guide saying, come visit this Indigenous artist, to which the Indigenous artist says, sorry, what? Um, You know, it's, (laughs) it's, there is so much misrepresentation and just bluster that I think it raised a lot of questions. Although there should probably be a little bit more context than that because you know if pride through free advertising to the way of a local artist that's onto itself not necessarily a bad thing of like oh i'm being promoted i didn't know it's going to be promoted this is there, there's another layer to this it's not just that they were giving free promotion to a local indigenous artist's uh, art it was they were also claiming grant money for it weren't they well it was you know it wasn't a, necessarily a local artist although he's local he's also international it was Kent Monkman okay. who is a huge name in uh, the the art world and it wasn't just simply about an advertisement it was also within the grant documents so Kent Monkman is this huge name and in order to secure these funds pride told heritage we have a fully executed contract with this internationally known artist who's going to develop these new works for us mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I said, you know, this, the grant report said Kent Monkman is going to develop seven new artworks to celebrate 1969. Well, as the lead critic of 1969, I have to see these artworks, right? I have to see them. So I contacted Kent Monkman and I said, I sent him the document. I said, oh, so you had this fully executed contract with Kent Monkman. Uh, And his studio uh, came back and, you know, there was no contract. So, I mean, I think it became evident in your investigation that Pride was saying one thing, raking in over one and a half million, nearly two million dollars and doing not necessarily an awful lot with that money, specifically what they promised they were going to do. So before we dive into your latest discovery, which I think is... It's also worth mentioning, you you say investigation, but Tom asked two questions to two people. Like... you contacted more than two people, <laughs> but you, know, you you saw a name and you phoned them. I mean that that was broadly the, uh, speaking. So like yeah. it, it's this is this is not deep gumshoe activity. This is not a profound conspiracy. This was you saw something fishy and you asked a question. Like the the fact that it was so quick and easy to uncover a lot of this is also onto itself kind of a a weird story onto itself. But the, I mean, there were some of my historian skills I used in getting the access to information documents, but you're mm. right. This isn't, uh, this isn't brain surgery. In term, terms of the timing, though, it did take quite a long time for access to information to send me the documents back ah. over a year. So okay. that's why we're talking about grants from 2019 now, because mm. this has been kept 
you know, undercover. But you're right. Uh, basically, all I did is when I saw the documents, I asked the questions that I think are fairly obvious. Mm -hmm. And and I just started. I didn't ask them to myself. I asked them to the people who might have the answers. And that's what led me to this place now. <laughs> so Pride Toronto parted ways with the executive director of that period, uh, Olivia. There were many things going on. In 2021, the Pride organization brought on KPMG, you know, one of these big firms. And what they've asked them to do is a review of compliance with three funding agreements. Essentially, here are the agreements on these three grants. How well, if at all, did they comply with those agreements? Uh -huh. Now, it's been bandied about that KPMG is doing a sort of an audit or a compliance audit. That's frankly so far away from the truth. You know, it, it's all they've done is you promised to do ABC. Did you do ABC? Yes or no? Which is a very restricted purview for yeah. KPMG. That's not really an audit. Audits are usually pretty thorough. Yeah. In fact, KPMG goes so far as to say, and I quote, uh, our approach was developed to complete the compliance review and did not involve conducting an investigation, nor did we perform an audit of the underlying transactions. For greater certainty, this report does not represent an audit or assurance report as defined by the CPA. Did this surprise you, Tom? No, this didn't <laughs> surprise me at one, one bit. Uh, I knew, and, and when I released my investigation in January, I said, it's the second to last slide, this KPMG review is very limited. It's only looking at federal grants, and I believe this issue goes to provincial and city grants as well. And as you said, it's only looking at this limited issue of, okay, what is the contribution agreement? What were the reports? And how does that match up? It doesn't include any of the other issues that I've raised, including the grant applications, how it's tying together all of these uh, projects involving Indigenous artists. And then, of course, the manipulated, falsified documents that I uncovered. Yeah, and we'll get to those in just a few minutes. Sticking to the KPMG review, uh, Toronto Pride has released a review. They did say that they would do so without sugarcoating it. Uh, some of the things that jump out at me, they, they only sampled the cash flow. They didn't review or audit all of it. They sort of spot check to see where things are. Even with a sample, here is some of the things they found. With a Two-Spirit Tales grant, they go on to say, for some of the sampled expenditures, we also found that Pride Toronto had claimed an additional 30,000 more in expenditures in the cash flow statements than were recorded in the general ledger. So Toronto Prize ledger says one thing, their statement to the grant says something $30,000 higher. Public safety, they say, uh, however, for the expenditures we sampled in our testing, including salaries totaling 87,000, we were provided with insufficient information and documentation to establish that the work performed by the employees in questions contributed to the commitments made in relation to the grant. 87,000 in salaries that they could not prove actually went towards the grant uh, in the first place. And the last one then, we sampled two cash flow statements and uh, expenditures of 174 for the decriminalization grant. That was the one with the indigenous artist. 
Pride Toronto provided the full ledger for 2018-19 and 2019-20, and they go on to say, however, the general ledger contained insufficient information to demonstrate the link between the claimed expenditures and the grant activities. For every single grant, when this body looks at only what was promised and what Mm. was delivered, Pride Toronto was way off. And you also said they sampled which means they didn't even look at everything. So just by looking at some of them, they could already find massive oversights and errors. That's, that's, that's really, but this is, this is like Fargo levels of incompetence. I mean, I feel like that's a slight on Fargo, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) so Tom, you've, you've read this from top to tail. Is Is there anything more that we're missing here? Uh, no, I'm I'm impressed, Luke, uh, because I know you didn't have a lot of time to get through this document that you picked up on these. These are exactly the things that I have highlighted here. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few other pages in the report that detail uh, the number of deliverables that were supposed to have been met, and they actually go through and count the number of deliverables that were. Mm-hmm. I haven't done the full math, but it's very few. You know, if, for example, for the Two Spirit Tales grant. It said that Pride Toronto provided documentation that supported two of the 12 activities reported Ooh. in the sampled activity reports. And, you know, just like Luke had just done for the, uh, the three grants, the same thing they do, the same thing is in the public safety grant uh, and in the decriminalization grant. So major problems. It's pretty normal for a body to not be able to fulfill all of its Uh, all of its promises but like that's usually like one or two things don't get fulfilled and then in the summary report you put by the way we couldn't do the following two things and then you list reasonable rational excuses for why not 10 out of 12 not complete is that's high and this isn't (laughs) the pandemic happened things get crazy yeah 2019 this is in the good old days (laughs) <laughs> you know, this is this is the before times that we're talking about here. It's interesting you mentioned the Two Spirit Tales uh, grant because Pride Toronto has issued their own statement on this report. And they actually list how much they received from each of these grants and what they delivered for it. And on the Two, ta- two Spirit Tales one, they initially had asked for 600000 They revised that down to 500000 still half a million. And uh, they received about 460 odd thousand. Federal government usually keeps a small amount back at the end, um, presumably to avoid fraud. You know, that's that's what the hope is. But for just shy of half a million, they had 39 Indigenous artists participate. That seems like a bit off. They created a series of headshots and they had a, a workshop on supporting emerging leaders and did some competency training and issued a summary on their website. I want that job. I want the (laughs) half a million job with those deliverables. That's what I want. Well, let's talk about what that grant should have done and what they proposed to do. So that was supposed to develop seven new original works by artist Kent Monkman, this this $600,000 grant. It was supposed to include... Uh, those seven works were supposed to create this two-spirit art exhibit that would be in a shipping container and would travel across the country to various pride festivals throughout 2019. And to be clear, when we say works, are we talking painting, sculpture? Paintings. uh, Okay, okay. And and in a shipping container that would travel across the country. And it would also travel to various uh, Indigenous communities. Oh, okay. So it would go to these communities. They would hire 
50 indigenous teachers within those communities to actually walk through the history and to, mm -hmm. to teach about it. So that's where that money was supposed to go. It was supposed to hire 50 indigenous teachers in indigenous communities. It was supposed to support this traveling uh, exhibit. And instead, uh, it looks like we got a series of professional headshots. Um, they asked for a million from public safety. They got just over half a million there as well. Um, they did some research. They built a model for a community catalyst program. They made an overview of nightlife space safety, issued a research paper and made a summary of the grant on their website. So yet again, I want that job, half a million dollars for a website summary. Everything you say, all I can think is what does that mean? Yeah. Like I mean, a research paper, you're hiring academics. I can see that being 100 grand. Like, or journalists. I, I understand or, that. Yeah. There's a bunch of people who could write a research paper. Clearly, according to, a, yeah. this is radio, I, we can't see Tom's expression here. <laughs> 100 grand for an academic research paper was a shocking. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. want that job. I want that job. <laughs> Nighttime safety, like, isn't that just like guardrails so that drunk people in high heels? No, no, that's, that's like, oh, that's in club safety. And what frustrates me is if you talk to, Grassroots organizations in Ottawa or Montreal, queer bar nighttime safety is something that's already widely available. There's models out there. You don't need to reinvent the wheel and you don't need to drop half a million dollars to achieve those outcomes. You know what I mean? Like these, mm. these are things that are already in the community. I think they've shot themselves in the foot by trying to add more detail, like summary on our website. Like that's not a half a million dollar job. You know what no. I mean? No. So Toronto Pride, I will read some of their uh, statement here. So mm -hmm. in October, as part of their review, they brought on KPMG. They then go on to say, we pledge to release KPMG's review publicly and to do so without sugarcoating what went wrong. We committed to addressing these legacy issues by fixing our processes to ensure the integrity of work in, is of the highest caliber. Pride Toronto has kept in close contact with our impacted funding partners and have proactively shared the KPMG report with them. We have reached out personally and formally in writing to a number of individuals and organizations who Pride Toronto wrongly, without their permission or approval, made false representations claiming their support for Pride Toronto's grant applications. While the review did not assess individual cases of misrepresentation, the recommendations provided will ensure that no such action is done in the future. And I'm going to pivot from there to your latest discovery. You found in the applications before that there were a number of letters of support. But before we move into the ones that you've, you've since then uncovered, what were the ones that you had initially found where Pride Toronto said, these people are on board 100%. And frankly, those letters were fraudulent. I found a, a series of five letters that are almost duplicate. Uh, the letterheads changed, the signatures changed, and a few words changed. But otherwise, the content of the letter is duplicated. And these five letters came from uh, community organizations. So uh, including the 519 Community Center, uh, the LGBT youth line and others. Now, when I contacted the 519 Community Center, sent them this letter, asked them, did you support this grant that you know Pride Toronto was going to include the police and all this stuff? And the 519 came back and told me, no, this, this letter is not authentic. 
And so uh, the, I, I chased down a few of the other letters and confirmed that they too were essentially forged. Um, there's another letter that was submitted on behalf of the Assembly of First Nations in support of this uh, t traveling two-spirit art exhibit. And I sent it to the Assembly of First Nations and they too came back to me to tell me that the, that letter was not authorized. We're going to jump to a song and uh, we will be just after this. We'll just take a little break here and then we'll be able to Ce matin, réveil heureux, mes malheurs en moins de deux. Le téléphone a sonné ta voix. A tout gauche tu m'as demandé comment ça va, j'ai dit. Comme si, comme ça, je guéris lentement depuis que t'as sacré qu'un de ton bord. Ça roque fort, tu te couches trop tard, tu te lèves trop tôt. Puis t'as toujours mal au dos. Qu'est-ce que je peux faire pour toi, je devine? Ne le dis pas, tu ne veux plus de moi. Mais tu t'ennuies du matelas. Welcome back to Cancrea. Just before the break, we were talking with uh, Tom 
I'm going to stick with Tom where first name basis now um, <laughs> about the uh, the ongoing snowball uh, sort of building Ron and the another scandal that is uh, taking over Toronto Pride at the moment. Since then, Tom, you've uncovered even more fraud in Pride Toronto's applications for funding. What was it that you found? So it's similar to the community letters. I found these three letters. They are from three different Ontario school boards, the Peel District School Board, the Toronto District School Board, and Waterloo Region District School Board. And they read the same. Uh, I get a few words are changed, but it basically the letter promises that across hundreds of Ontario schools, there was going to be two spirit and indigenous specific programming in 2019. And this was going to be part of that two spirit tales grant. So I sent these letters, just like I did with all the other documents I've found, I sent these letters to the school board say, you know, did you have this partnership? Did you provide two-spirit instruction at hundreds of schools. I mean, that would be a historic occasion if that had actually happened. So I would want to write about it as a historian. Uh, But they came back, each one, uh, explaining, no, this letter was not authorized. This letter is not real. I mean, I think the level of detail that, um, that you shared you know, I think if I'm if I'm just going to pull it up here, the, the some of the emails that you you shared with us, you know, the the detail where they're saying, look, that person has never worked here. There's logos missing from our official header. We've never had a French translation in the top left corner. Like these are not even good forgeries. <laughs> I mean, it's like zero amount of care and attention was made here. It does beg the question of. How do I go about telling the federal government that I'm going to spend half a million on something and just invent people as supporting it? Just mm. lie through my teeth that all of these amazing organizations are, are, are fully behind me and I can make it happen. Because if it's that easy, you know what I mean? Like it begs the question here. Where is the accountability? Where is the the sort of double checking by the federal government here who are handing out almost $2 million to an organization that is, if this stands up, morally bankrupt? Like, you know, how do we ensure that other nonprofits don't just make things up in their grant applications? The problem is there's a huge, there's a whole culture that's, that's supporting this, that's upholding this. Now, I think there's an important question we have to ask ourselves. What, what is the appropriate response by a school board when they have their letterhead and their signatures forged? Mm-hmm. You know, what should they do about that? And what I've got back you know, from the Peel District School Board, you know, as you said, they, they provided a whole list of reasons why their letter isn't authentic. They can't recognize the signature. There's missing logos. Mm. There's the, the, the director of education, Tony Pontus, had retired two years before the letter was written. Uh, and yet at the end of the day, when I said, okay, so now we know this letter isn't real and it's been forged, what are you going to do about it? The Peel District School Board comes back to me and says, uh, we don't see any reason to pursue this matter further. So that attitude is upholding all of this. And I'm finding it across the board. Mm-hmm. I have received a response back from the Ministry of Education because I complained to them when Peel got back to me saying they weren't going to do anything. And the Ministry of Education said, yeah, 
we don't see the need to review this matter. Um, the, the, the Department of Canadian Heritage, I've ever since my report came out in January, I've been bugging them. What are you doing to follow up on this fake letter from the Assembly of First Nations? Because heritage officials actually put that partnership into the contribution agreement. Hmm. And so what are you doing to follow up on that? And I can't get a response. So there is a whole culture that is surrounding Pride Toronto that is enabling this uh, corrupt behavior. It sounds to me like nobody is, 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 you know, willing to bite the bullet here. I think it's frustrating that KPMG in their report said, we're only looking at what you promised in deliverables and what you delivered. And even then they found these massive gaps. But the current board of Toronto Pride is definitely trying to create as much distance uh-huh. between grants that run into 2023, by the way, uh, the, you know, one of the grants which they backed out of at this point, you know, round up now, I don't consider 2019 to be a legacy. I mean, it's, it's uh-huh. not that, f- I, it was the before times pre-pandemic, but I don't think it quite hits that legacy description that they've applied to it. Like this is an issue of, defrauding the federal government that happened very recently under the leadership of Toronto Pride to the tune they asked for 600,000 with fraudulent documents. That's a 600,000, you know, defraud attack. I mean, here's a question that I have uh, actually for both of you, because I know, Luke, you have a lot of experience with grants and with not-for-profits and Tom, everything you've looked into so far. Let's say you do step into a new role on a board of directors and the entire board is new people and you discover that the previous board had done all sorts of fraudulent stuff, but nobody sitting on the current board ever signed their name on any dotted lines in documents that are forgeries. What is, normally speaking, your responsibility? Are you supposed to report it right away or... or yeah. Because you, you do have the ability to distance yourself and say nobody here signed any of those documents. Obviously, that doesn't mean you should do nothing. You should do something. But what is that something? So boards of directors have fiduciary duties. These are the legal obligations that they hold that you take on. You know, joining a board for a national, you know, the the city of Toronto's pride organization isn't just a lark. It's not just a bit of fun. It's a serious legal responsibility. For example, If an organization doesn't pay the employee taxes, um, the individual board members can be chased down by the CRA as individuals to recoup those taxes. Like you are responsible as a unit, as a board, but if the board or the organization as a whole is not able to to deal with particularly government uh, funds, they can chase you down individually. In most cases, board of directors insurance covers all of that. If you are following proper practice, if there are solid protocols in place, I would be amazed if Try Toronto's insurance premiums don't go through the roof, uh, you know, with, with all of this information coming out, because you are responsible. If you have hired somebody, you are still responsible for their behavior. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the board of directors is ultimately responsible for all financial Uh, decisions made by that organization so those previous board members if i was them i'd be looking into legal uh you know talking to a lawyer because this is serious serious issues and uh yeah 
I personally hope that uh, Toronto Police investigates this as, as a fraud. Um, I think it's shocking that the federal government hasn't seemed to have moved on this at all, especially when you look at the cumulative impact of what uh, what uh, this is, you know, 1.8 million in, in total here. Well, you know, there's a few things uh, on this point, and that is, first of all, yes, the board and the ED have turned over, but not all the staff has. The director of operations is the same person as it was back when all these grants initially started, and they were actually embedded in the administration of all of these grants. So they may not have had their name on some of the documents, but they were intimately familiar with what was going on and could inform the current board of what happened. And so we have to remember it's the current board that uh, came up with the terms of reference for the KPMG review. It's the current board that decided it was going to be narrow and that uh, you know, they weren't going to provide all the documentation that they were being asked for uh, and such. It was also the current board that when this story first broke back in June, I brought up to CBC the decriminalization grant and they reported on it. Back in June, this board and this ED told CBC the reason the Two-Spirit grant fell through is because Kent Monkman's commission fee was too high. And that is totally baloney. That is not why the deal fell through with Kent Monkman, it fell through because Pride was demanding ownership of the artwork. So this this current board um, has, it's not separate either in terms of the time because they're still benefiting from these grants and have up until uh, this past January, uh, but also because they've contributed to the cover-up and they need to be held accountable for that. Yeah, for that, for that surely. Because uh, what, it seems like, the, the rational thing that they could have done to cover their tracks is get KPMG to do an audit, including generating a list of recommendations of what they could do to fix the error. So that way, the, it would at least signal, we acknowledge there's a problem, we're trying to fix it, we don't know what to do yet, we're going to get professionals in. The it, It's taking a while because none of us are experienced in cleaning up corrupt boards. And like, there's there's a lot of room for understanding for people who stepped into an organization where the previous people uh, were, were rotted out, basically. Um, but when you, like, as you say, what, once you start contributing to that, um, you kind of start losing credibility. Mm. Well, it's certainly not a legacy issue. Um, no matter <laughs> how many times they mention it in their press releases, um, it's it's not a legacy. It's a current issue that they must deal with. Yeah. Um, you know, what I think we will do next as uh, Can Queers, we'll reach out to the, uh, there's a Senate committee on charities. We'll reach out to them and see what they think on this, uh, as well as the LGBT Secretariat. Uh, because I think what this does is it undermines confidence in the federal government's granting system. It mm. really does. It, it begs the question as to, you know, what's stopping me from saying that all the school boards in Ottawa reckon I should do a project tomorrow worth half a million and then promptly just not do it and take the money and run. You know, it's, there's, where is that, the collapse of faith where this has gone on and there seems to be no repercussions at all. um, That needs to be addressed. I think that that needs to be addressed. There, there is an issue in Canada in general. If you look at the history of of Canada, even fairly recent history of Canada, by that, I mean like the past 20 years, I suppose. Uh, we're really not good at handling white collar crime. There are a lot of very famous instances of of high level corruption, and they just sort of 
get away with it where nobody really does anything about it. That doesn't obviously excuse any of this, but it just kind of says that this might just be a pattern that Canada has and we kind of need to deal with. Well, and Pride is, has a, a long history of this sort of uh, conflict. You know, mm. I'm not the first one to come along and make these types of accusations. So, yeah, I think there is a, a, a larger problem at play here. <laughs> you know, a while ago we talked about we have zeroed in on LGBT organizations in Ottawa and, and across the country. And a part of that is holding them accountable for the community because mm-hmm. it is our faith as community members that, you know, is they're, they're built for the community and they're supposed to serve the community. Mm-hmm. You know, the public tax dollars funding this, you know, fraudulent application uh, is one thing. But I think the collapse in faith in pride to not go around impersonating people uh, is something that the LGBT community needs to needs to be responsible for and stand up for. They have an AGM coming up, I believe, on April 7th or 17th. One of those. I think it's 7th. 7th. Yeah. 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 Are you, are you going to make me listen to that? I, I, I mean, I, I won't I won't force you to sit through a, a Pride Toronto AGM. Um, but yeah, it's <laughs> I think the real consequence now is that this board are trying to distance themselves they're they're clearly they're taking some measures but i still think it's evident that they're not doing enough here still think there's a way hold them accountable there is a way to distance yourself from it while still trying to fix it like you can distance yourself from the blame and take on to yourself the responsibility to fix it Mm. there's a way to do this like an adult well, I, I approached the current board back in June when the CBC story first hit. And I, yeah, I have the email still. And I said to them, this, it would be a lot better if what I have comes from you. Mm. If you come forward, if pride comes forward and proactively runs this, uh, don't wait for me because I'm doing these access requests. I know I'm going to find bad stuff. Please, it would be better for pride if you do this and they made the choice. I think this is the problem now is if they did try to do what you're saying, you know, still distancing themselves, but also doing the the right job of coming forward, uh, they're going to have to explain what happened the last nine months. Where have they been? Mm -hmm. Why didn't they come forward? And why did they leave this to the historian Mm -hmm. to unearth? Why? And, and they're still doing it. Mm-hmm. Like even after this report that I put out in January that, that brought all this bad press, you would think even then they would get the hint. Okay, we have to get out. We have to control the message on this. Mm-hmm. We have to get ahead of it. But instead they leave me to continue unearthing these school board documents. And re- last week, documents from the city of Toronto. And they need to stop me. They need to stop me by getting ahead of me. And, and coming forward. I think that's the only way that they can get out of this. Well, if there's any budding journalists out there who are a little bored, I think the, the, the best way to find a scandal is, you know, research any partner Pride Toronto has claimed to work with. Ooh. And uh, it's 50-50, I think, as to whether or not, that, <laughs> whether or not that, that exists or not. Because that's how, you know, I sound flippant and, and over the top. 
but there have been so many forgeries in their applications for these million dollar plus applications mm-hmm. that it does beg the question can they be trusted with anything they've claimed to have done you know it's and it's it's a scary place to find yourself with nonprofits and charities there is a, a an assumption of trust you know as a registered charity they are supposed to be spending their finances as a prudent person would spend them and this mm-hmm. is not prudent by any measure Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. We will reach out to some folks ourselves and see if we can dig a little deeper on this so it doesn't all fall to the historian. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll see what we can find and let folks know next week. Uh, that's it for the end of the show. I have been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. I'm Tom. <laughs> nice to um, be here. And thank you for listening. Come on over, I bring a bottle of wine I Smoke a little Mary Jane Start the night right I got vinyl on the shelf I've been dying to play I'm turning off my phone I want to do the same Show me that you want me, show me, show me that you want me